a tablet or a smartphone or your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. I started 1 Corinthians 14 last week um, and looked at one of the more controversial New Testament passages that there is as we talked about tongues and prophecy specifically. And, you know, if I'm honest with you, there was, I feel a, a weight when I preach, but I don't, I don't feel anxiety to preach, um, except for last week. And last week there was anxiety. It's just kind of walking through a passage knowing that um, there is, you know, two sides to a coin here, whether you are a continuationist, believing that the, the gifts have continued, or a cessationist, believing the gifts have ceased, that this is one of those areas where, where people have divided and on both sides are believers. Um, and so not wanting to see that happen, not wanting to see um, divisiveness, but letting the text really just speak for itself um, for us to, to wrestle with it. Um, and so the, you know, the, even afterwards, after the sermon, last week I told Carmen, I said there was a, a moment where I thought, you know, I don't think I was super, like, draw a line, harsh, divisive, like you can't come back. But I'm like, I wonder if there's anyone I just saw for the last time this morning, right? Like, it, it felt like that kind of passage. Um, and so definitely had some anxiety about it. And then set in GC on Sunday night and was so encouraged as we saw folks on, on both sides of this issue um, just kind of pour their hearts out and minister to one another. We saw the body really be the body and, and people say, look, I struggle with the, with the thought of the gifts and others saying, uh, I practice the gifts and yet no one looking to draw attention to themselves, no one looking to lord over but simply to, to encourage and to love one another. And so I have been super encouraged that of just kind of the spirit that has emerged this week um, and through the other GC conversations that I've heard of, that folks have come as, as learners. Um, and certainly there has not been any divisiveness um, brought out of 1 Corinthians 14. And so that is definitely a gift and appreciate that. Um, all right, so we are nearing the end here of 1 Corinthians. Um, we will finish 14 this week. Um, and then we've got 15, which is a long chapter um, as, as Paul begins to wrap up the letter and then kind of his, his summation in chapter 16. And so we're, we're nearing the end. And if you remember in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we've kind of had a worship section. Really, you could go all the way back um, a couple more chapters prior to that where we have seen Paul say, look, first we're going to talk about idol worship, that we want nothing to do with idol worship because it actually detracts from our, our true worship to God. And then we've seen him say, in the church, there will be diversity. It's not that there's going to be one or two people who do all the work and have all the gifts, that we all have gifts, and they're all meant for the benefit of the body. And then he rolls into immediately chapter 13, where we see love, but that the gifts have to be done out of love. And so when we show hospitality, or when we preach, or when we do any of these things, that if it's not done out of love that it's a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal, right? Like that. And so he said, look, there's going to be diversity in the gifts. We need each other. We're dependent upon each other. This is the way we worship, that we're going to do it in love. And now in chapter 14, really what Paul is, is saying overall is that in worship, in the worship service, there has to be order, and it has to be intelligible. It has to be understood. Like that, that, that's going to matter tremendously. And so he is kind of wrapping up this section on worship. 
the whole goal, the whole focus of it being that we want to rightly reflect God. He is trying to get the Corinthians to rightly portray the character of God in Corinth, in a city where there were a lot of um, pagan religions and cultures that would have been looking at God in, in different lights. He's saying, look, we, we want to present him accurately. And the same for us this morning, that we would rightly reflect who our God is and his character um, and it, in, in our current culture, that we would do that. And so he is going to do some final teaching and correction here in chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, the passage opened up, we'll begin in verse 26, and we will finish out chapter 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation— Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent." For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, for they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church." Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should write, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So... um, Paul kind of just ups the ante this week, so we're going to continue with prophecy in tongues, and we're going to throw women right into the mix, and he's just going to make it altogether awkward for all of us, right? Okay. All right. So, um, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, all right, so here's, here's the scene, all right? Um, what, what has been going on in Corinth is, remember, the, the tongues and, and show your gifts have kind of risen to the forefront. And the worship services have simply become chaotic. That people are, are being showy. They're being demonstrative. They're, they're drawing attention to themselves. They're saying, if you don't have the gifts that I have, then you're not as spiritual as I am. Thus, I'm superior. We've seen them divide even in the Lord's Supper between the have and the have-nots. And so it's one of those where the haves are now kind of showing their gifts. I'm specifically in speaking in tongues and saying, like, you should all want to be like us. We are superior. We are more spiritual. And they're causing division. And they're, and they're causing just kind of this chaotic scene to be happening in worship. And Paul is correcting it. It's why he's not going through how each gift works in the service. He is specifically correcting some things that have gone awry here in Corinth. Um, and wanting to make sure that things are set um, correctly, that they're set in at a proper place. Verse 26 is really going to be kind of our overarching goal for this, for this passage. What then, brothers? When you come together, right? So he's talking about coming together in worship. 
Each one will have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But here's, here's our overarching goal this morning. But let all things be done for building up. And that's what we saw last week, that, that, that my Paul it was a proponent of prophecy in the service over tongues was because it, it encourages and it builds up other believers where tongues tended to be more of a, a self-devotional thing. And so, what we see in verse 26 is this, that, that Paul is reminding them that there is no ego here. He says, look, all of you, when you come together, you have something to offer. And so, he begins to list some gifts, but he's reminding them that we need each other, that we're dependent upon each other. It's why an individual, no matter how gifted they are, doesn't have church, right? Because they don't, they're not Christ. They don't have all of the giftings. We are in need of one another. If you'll notice the list of, of gifts here, it's a short list. It's not, um, it doesn't have all the ones he's already mentioned. And you'll notice this as well. They're all verbal. Hymns, we're singing. Lessons, you're teaching. A revelation, you're giving. A tongue, you're speaking. An interpretation, you're speaking. Right? Like all of these gifts here are verbal ones. And so really what he's doing is he's saying, look, with a lot of our gifts, it, it, you're not abusing them. But with these verbal ones, you seem to have kind of letting things gone awry, and we just have a chaotic scene. And so he immediately, when he says that all, he's letting them know there's no, there's no area where you can be arrogant or prideful here like God only speaks to you, or that you can only draw attention to yourselves. You could also see, though, how this whole worship scene could get chaotic, right? Like that if you are speaking in tongues— and, and so you begin to do that, and someone else goes, well, I'm spiritual, I'll do it too, and I'll do it louder and longer and better than you. And so this guy over here is like, well, I've got a prophecy, and so he just stands up and starts talking, and someone else, and, and, the, and the scene begins to unfold and unravel quickly into this just kind of chaotic scene of one-upping each other, of comparison, of drawing attention to yourself, of wanting to be seen as superior, as wanting to be brought into the in crowd, that, that, that worship could have gone awry in a hurry. And so what Paul does is he says, look, I'm just going to give you some, some rules of thumb here. And so he begins with tongues. And he says, so look, if, if any speak in tongues, he doesn't say they have to or that they must, if they do, let there be two or at most three, right? He's saying like, we're going to limit how much this happens. And he says, each in turn, it's not going to happen simultaneous. They're going to be Respectable, they're going to be in, in turn, they're going to wait and let someone interpret. And so he basically says, look, if, if, if it's happening all together, it doesn't belong in public worship. If there's no one to interpret, it doesn't belong in public worship. That it is a more controlled thing than we sometimes imagine. But if they speak in a tongue, two or three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. We then look at prophecy, and he does the same thing. He gives some, some rules here, too, in verse 29. So let two or three prophets speak, and let the others then weigh what is said. Remember, we're saying that this is not prophecy in regards to he, they're, they're coming up with new Scripture or something that supersedes Scripture. They're speaking, and he says, and then let others consider what has been said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the one who's talking be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. 
And so what he says is, look, we're only going to do a couple of these as well, and we're not going to allow filibusters, right? So some guy gets up there, and he's just talking on and on and on and on, and then someone out in, in the congregation goes, I think I've, I've got a word for us. And so the one up there is like, well, but I've got the mic, right? I've got the floor. He's like, if, if someone in, in the congregation says, I have something, then you let the one speaking stop. That you don't get to just control the situation by putting yourself out there like I'm the only one who gets to speak. And he says, though, in verse 29, that he wants us to test what is said, what is shared, right? Let two or three speak and let the others weigh what is said. We see this as well in 1 Thessalonians 5. Where Paul writes this, starting in verse 19 and 20. So don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So the idea here is that something could be shared that just in the end isn't going to be appropriate or it's not going to be correct because this is, it's fallible. It could be mistaken that you can misunderstand what you've heard or you can misinterpret what you're saying. And so that the church itself is going to weigh what is being shared because it doesn't carry the same weight as Scripture. And so first and foremost, right, we compare what is being shared to Scripture, Right, like, so if you look with me in Acts 17, verse 11, this is the Bereans. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what we, what we see is the Bereans are hearing this message that's coming forward of, of what's going on. And it says, they went back to scriptures and they examined what was going on in scripture, taking what they've heard, and they're going, okay, does this fit? Is this appropriate? Does this, does this fit what has been taught and what has been revealed through scripture? So scripture becomes our, our anchor that we take anything that someone claims to have heard from the Lord, we take it back to Scripture and we say, does this affect it? Does it change it? Does it amend it? Does it edit it? Then we throw it out. That Scripture is what anchors us. And so if it's, if it's again, if it's an encouragement, if it's a building up, then we take it and we're like, okay, that's from the, like, we'll, we'll take that as an encouragement from the Lord. But that we don't add to Scripture, that Scripture roots us and grounds us. We see this in Christ, right, in Matthew 4, when he has his temptation before Satan, right? That Satan comes and offers three temptations, and in all three temptations, Satan, right, is, Jesus responds with scripture, with scripture. That what Satan has done is he hasn't gone, like, far off and blasphemed, right? He simply twisted things just a little bit where it looks maybe almost right. And Jesus says, no, 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 here's what Scripture says. This is the idea of what testing this according to Scripture would be. That if someone says, hey, I have an impression that I think maybe the Lord has something for us or for you, that we take it back to the Scriptures. We say, is this in line with what Scripture has already revealed? We see this even here in chapter 14 if you look down in verse 37. Paul writes, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. What Paul is doing here is he's pulling out his apostle trump card. And he's saying, what I'm saying is scripture. 
what I'm saying, like, it, it rules. Like, you don't get to disagree with it. Because it's not, for, not because I'm Paul. But he says, because it is a command of the Lord. That he and, and the other apostles, capital A apostles, when they spoke, when they prophesied, when they did these things, Scripture emerged from it. And he's saying what you're doing is not Scripture. Hopefully it's for edification. Hopefully it's for building up and for encouragement. But it does not get to supersede, edit, change, or affect Scripture. It is something lesser than that. The second thing is it's not just that we test it compared to Scripture, but we also test to see, is it encouraging? Does it build up? Look at verse 3 in chapter 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and their consolation. We also see this in verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. We see this again in 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And so the church is filtering what's being spoken and what's being shared based on Scripture, but they're also going to be testing it, filtering it through, is it encouraging? Is it building up? Is it doing what Scripture says prophecy should do? And the final one is this, that it's going to be filtered through chapter 13, love. Is it being done in love? Is the demeanor and the character and, and it, from the person who's doing it as a means of drawing attention to self, loving self, or is it as a means of loving the body, of encouraging the one that, who, who has had a word shared to them? And so we're, we're testing it versus Scripture, versus is it doing what it's meant to be, to build up, and is it being done in love? There's a few things here in chapter 14 that we want to make note of as we are wrapping up this section. The first is this. I think for some of us, the the fear that we have in regards to the gifts are going to be um, that it seems out of control. And, And what we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is that it actually is in control. That these folks are not possessed. They're not like losing their mind. They're not out of control. Look with me in verses 27 and 28. So if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, right? And so the idea is, is if there's more than one, then they can wait, right? That it's not this thing that just like comes over them and like has to come out right now, and what are you going to do because I'm more spiritual than you, because I'm speaking in tongues, right? Right? You don't get to say that. It's saying that it has to be done in an orderly fashion, which means you wait your turn, and that you have to be aware whether there's an interpreter there or not. And so he says, if there's not, keep silent, which means you have the ability to control whether you let it come out or not. That this is not a possession thing where it just comes out and flows. That if you know that the interpreter is not here, there's not someone that you're sure of, he says in verse 28, so keep silent in church, speak to yourself, to himself, and to God. He he mentions this as well with prophecy. Verse 30 So if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. It means stop what you're doing. It's not like that you you know your eyes are rolled back in your head and it's just coming out and you can't stop. But this would have been the scene in a lot of pagan rituals and worship services in the city of Corinth. That they would have seen this kind of frenzied behavior that was uncontrollable, that was crying out for, for someone to pay attention to them. And what Paul is saying is that this is orderly. And it's understood. And you're in control. And, the, and, it's, and it's not out of control. Verse 33. 
for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Second thing is this, that there's no ego here, which is a really good reminder to us as well that the Lord speaks to more than just the one who calls himself pastor, more than just to your gospel community leader, right? Like that the Lord speaks to us. If you have the Spirit of God, if you trust and treasure and are pursuing Jesus, then God reveals himself to you, that he speaks and he works and he maneuvers. And, but here's the thing, we don't all have the same gifts. And so it's not that we say, hey, just because we're all believers that everyone, we're just going to line up and everyone's going to take a Sunday and preach a sermon, right? Like, he's like, that we, I have gifted some for, for teaching, for others, for hospitality. For others, right, for acts of love. For others, for administration. For others, prophecy. For others, interpret. Like, he just starts to list and says, we all then need each other. And so, just because someone has a gift that allows them to um, speak in a, in a maybe a more concise or a more clear way, doesn't mean that they're the only one God speaks to. And I think sometimes in our, in our modern culture, we begin to think that. Right, like that if I don't have a mic in front of me, then the Lord couldn't have spoken to me. And that's just not the case. And so what he's saying is there's no ego in this. If the Lord has spoken and you have something to share, right, like that it's not that you get to say, well, you don't have a title, so shut up. Right, like we, we don't get to do that. Right? That, that we get to encourage one another here. That, that one is not over another that one gift does not trump other gifts. The third thing is this, that what Paul is, is really revealing to us in chapter 14 is the worship when we come together is about us, not about me. It's about us, it's not about you. That it's meant for us to come and make much of Jesus together to share our gifts. And so you're going to gain benefit from it. It's not that you don't gain anything from it. But it's not just for your individual expression of worship. And so here, this, is, this is, well, is offensive in our culture, right? To say that your individual expression is not primary. That it's about us coming together as a family, as a body, and making much of Jesus. That we use our gifts for the benefit of others. We serve one another. We love one another. We edify and build up one another. What this also means is that you may very clearly feel like you've heard from the Lord and have something to say and not get an opportunity to say it. Just because you feel like you've been given something doesn't mean that you have the authority to share it. Because look at what, what he says. Look, there's only two or three. So what happens if it was the fourth guy? And he's like, well, I got tongues this morning. Paul's going to say, then, not, not this morning. You can share that next week, right? For, for, the, for the prophet that says, well, I've got something to share, and he's like, well, not, not this week. That if there's not an interpreter there, he's like, and you have something from the Lord, then you say it back to yourself, and you say it to God. That you don't, just because you feel like you've heard from something from the Lord, get to demand an audience, that we still come under authority and that the body tests things, right? And so the fact is, is someone could get up and, and say, I think I've heard from the Lord, and the body hears it and goes, we think you're wrong. Because you, did you consider this scripture here? Man, your, your demeanor is not very loving. 
and it would not have made them a false prophet in the Old Testament sense of like, you're now an enemy of God. They could have just made a mistake, right? They could have just misunderstood. And so that even in that, that we are, we are discipling and that we're edifying. And so what goes on here is, is for us. I think what we need to be reminded of as we've spent time looking at tongues and prophecy is this, is that not all are going to prophesy and not all are going to speak in tongues, even according to Scripture, right? Even according to Paul here who is saying, I want you to pursue these things. Because remember, at the end of chapter 12, um, sorry, yeah, the end of chapter 12, he says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's already said we're not all going to. And then in chapter 14, he says, look, I'd love for you to all to speak in this. So he's saying I would desire that. But he doesn't say when you do, because you must if you love Jesus. Right? Paul desires it for us because he thinks there's some gain and some benefit but not that you're all going to have this. It's, it's, it's not when, but if, is the way Paul talks about it. And so for some of you, I think it, it, this puts you at ease, that the question then is, am I pursuing what the Lord would have for me, right? Not feeling like maybe I don't know Jesus because I don't, I don't do these things. Like for someone to say that if you don't do these things, you can't know the Lord is not a biblical, scriptural there's no basis for that. Another thought on worship here from 1 Corinthians 14 is this. It's the question that we have to ask is what we bring to worship, is what we're doing in worship, is it distracting others or is it glorifying God? Right? Is it bringing attention to Him? Or is it bringing attention to us? Because what was happening in Corinth is folks were bringing attention to themselves. They were, they were reveling in their gifts so that people would applaud them as spiritual and superior. Not that they were serving the king or serving the body. Not that they were building each other up or loving one another. Right? The, here's, the, here's the thing, though. Scripture talks about raising your hands. It talks about bowing down. It talks about singing. Like, all of these things, Right? So it's not that we are dour people, who, and it means to not distract one another, right? We sit in our little bubbles and we don't move. But is the, is the demeanor that we bring for the glory of God or for the glory of us, right? It's, it's a question of the heart here. I, I saw a pastor, he was talking about this passage, and he um, he was talking about the secret service, right? And you see like the president coming off of Air Force One, and any military right that are around are going to be like saluting and attention. And he's like, does that, does their demeanor then go, oh man, you're not letting us look at the president because you're over there raising your hands, you know, drawing attention to yourself. He says, no, 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 it doesn't draw attention to themselves. It actually draws more attention to the one who's being honored. So that's what Paul is talking about, is our worship demeanor bringing more attention to God who is worthy and deserving of it, or is it in some way going, look at me. Pay attention to me. Did you hear me? I'm super spiritual. Or is it saying, the king is worthy. He is faithful and he is good to us. So now, 
So now we move down to where maybe you have, uh, your mind has not left this section. Um, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but to be in submission, as the law says. For if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And yes, I understand how offensive that comes across, right? That when we hear the words like shameful, that you're like rolling up the sleeves, Paul, right? Like when we talk about shameful, right? So I understand that. Um, that there's just an immediate offense to the words that we are reading here. But I want to remind us of this, that if we look back at 1 Corinthians 11, Paul has already said this um, in verse 5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, right? So he goes on now to head coverings. But you notice what he says? But every wife who prays or prophesies, he talks to them about her head being uncovered, not the fact that she is praying or prophesying. Um, and in verse uh, 13, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? So Paul seemingly is contradicting himself, where he's already said in service, hey, women can pray and prophesy. And now he's saying women need to be silent because it's shameful. Okay, Paul, which is it, right? Are we allowing women to pray and prophesy or are we not? And the fact is, is Paul is not contradicting himself here. I think we, we can make sense of what he's doing. Before, we, before we, we do that, I want to quickly give you some evidence that, that I don't think Paul is, is looking to be insulting here. In Philippians 4, 2, and 3, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, he mentions um, Euodia and, a, and another woman. And he says, I ask you, also true companion, help these women. Listen to what he says. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we see Paul applauding and commending these women who have worked side by side with him in the ministry. Right? Um, We also, Paul wrote in Romans 18, or, sorry, let's see here. Not in Romans, in Acts, sorry. This, as he was talking about um, Apollos, and he says this, So Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla, who is a woman, and Aquila, her husband, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Right? So what we see here is Paul's talking about, look, she took him aside and she spoke to him, she explained the way of God. We've said him commend other women. And so what is going on here is not that Paul, he does not have a low view of women here. There's something else going on. Here's all I want us to note. He's already talked about tongues. And he said, look, there are time and a place for tongues, and there's also a time for tongues to be silent. And then he says, there's a time for prophecy, and there's also a time for the one who is prophesying to be silent. And now he gives a third example, and he says there's a time for women to speak, because he's already told us they can pray and prophesy in the church. He's like, but there's a time for them to be silent as well. And what is going on is a, is a cultural situation here where um, in, in this setting, women would have had far less access to, to education. 
and prophecy is what Paul is just talking about, and so now the church is weighing it, right? So they're asking questions, they're pursuing it, they're, they're checking demeanor and motive and, and checking Scripture, and so what is happening there are women are standing up, and they're asking questions of another woman's husband that might have been personal in nature, right? And they're, they're asking questions that would have been cons- considered shameful in the culture to be talking to another man that is not your husband in that manner, they also potentially, if their husband had been the one that had had a, had a word, they may have been like seemingly contradicting him if they're pressing too hard on him, right? And so that they're not showing submission to their own husband. And so Paul is saying, look, there's a time for the women to be silent in the church, for they're not permitted to speak but should be in submission, right? That scripture tells us that there is headship, that the, the husband is over the wife, If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. So Paul here is being very pro-education, learning. I'm not telling you not to, to shut up and be demure and don't ask questions. What he's saying is, hey, if, if you want to press in on what was being talked about, whether it's, it's the prophecy was being filtered and weighed, you ask your husband at home. But in the culture, it was highly inappropriate for you to stand up and talk to that other woman's husband. Like it would have been considered shocking, scandalous. It's the same today in the Middle East that, that a woman can talk to her father, her brother, her husband, and her sons, and no other man. That's it. Those, 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 those men. You don't talk to other men. And so I think I've told this story before, but when we had only been in Yemen for a few weeks, and we show up, and, and we lived in a building owned by a, a powerful man in our neighborhood named Abdul Rahman. And he was in his 50s, and he had some daughters who were teenagers, almost grown. And they, it was a, a small apartment building. They never had a Westerner live there. And like first week or two, his teenage daughters, who are always in the street, covered with the veil, the lithma, everything, the balto, um, they ran around the building, though, sometimes not dressed that way. And they forgot that I lived there now. And so one day I'm walking up the stairs to our apartment, and here comes one of his 17-year-old daughters, and she comes around the corner, and she's, she's dressed, but she's not covered. She's not wearing the, the long gown. She's not got her face covered. She does not have her hair covered. She's dressed as only her father and her brothers and her husband should ever see her. And as she comes around the corner, I just immediately averted my eyes. And she came on past, and I went on past. Went to my apartment. Um, you know, I'm thinking, that's probably shocking for her. It was definitely, like, just kind of an in- instinct for me. Well, about 10 minutes later, knock, knock, knock on our door. And Abdul Rahman is standing there. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure how this is about to go, right? And he, he stands there, and my Arabic was, was pitiful. You already know that. Um, but he says, I now know I can trust you because you're an honorable man. You're welcome to stay in my building. And what it was, was I had had the opportunity to shame his daughter, even by simply looking at her or if I had addressed her with speech, right? In a way that if I was running up an apartment building complex here and if someone walked by, it would be ruder almost to ignore them, to not look at them, to act like I was better than them, to not talk to them. But in this culture, the proper response was not to address her or to look at her. In this culture, for a woman to be addressing another man was shameful. 
And so Paul is saying, look, we've got we've to bring some control to what's going on here in the service. Now look, elsewhere in Scripture, if we look at 1 Timothy 2, um, if we look at Titus 1, if we look at 1 Timothy 3, we understand that Scripture says basically there's two places where women um, are not allowed in, in the church. And it's in the role of elder, and it's just the one who, who preaches. And then everything else is on board, right? Those are the only two places where it kind of says, hey, these, because of the, the creation order and headship of male, it's not that men are better or women are worse. It's the difference in giftings. It's a difference in role and that we complement one another. But what Paul is talking about here is not talking in church because, right, otherwise we get this wrong every week because we have women who talk in church. But he was talking about a cultural, shameful incident that he is looking to avoid. He's got three places here where he says you need to be quiet. That just because you have something to say doesn't mean you should always say it. With tongues, with prophecy, and with the question of another man's husband. Which is just not a cultural issue for us any longer. So I want us to note that Paul affirms women. He affirms learning. Right? That he is simply talking about a specific cultural issue here. And that this is simply in line with all of chapter 14 where he's talking about order and worship, where it's intelligible. And here's the point. Verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That he wants their worship not to look like pagan worship, where people are in a frenzy, where they're looking to call upon the gods, and they're, they're babbling, and they're yelling, and they're convulsing. He's like, we meet with a God who has revealed himself, who loves us, who is faithful and good to us, who's revealed himself to us through, his, through the life of Christ, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and through his word that's been given to us. And so in verses 39 and 40, he then summarizes the whole section. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. He says, like, it's okay to want this. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. He just wants you to handle it correctly. But all things should be done decently, and in order. The reason why chapter 14 matters and that we have to wrestle with this is because Jesus is alive. He's alive and he still speaks and he still works and he still moves through us, that he hears us, that we're not like the, the, the false prophets of old, like cutting ourselves, trying to get God to pay attention to us, jumping through hoops or sacrificing things, that God has lived the life we were meant to live in Christ, has died the death that we deserve to make us right and to satisfy the wrath of God. And then has beaten sin and Satan and death and lives today. And so it means he still speaks to us and he still moves and he still works. Here's, here's where we're going to end. So it means we don't have to fake it. That we don't have to, to come up with some trumped up religious activity so that it looks like God is alive and doing something. When he chooses to move, he will. We don't have to help him. We don't have to make it look like he's doing more than he is. That we faithfully and humbly come to him. We ask him to, to give us gifts that allow us to encourage and to build up and to edify. And we make much of Jesus. And we don't fake it personally or in a service. So one of our, our heart's desires when we started Redeemer seven and a half years ago was this. We didn't want people to be able to come in and spend six weeks with us and walk away going, man, I've had a really good time. Not sure if I've heard from the Lord or not. But I've, I've enjoyed myself. I've been entertained. That we want it to be stripped down, bare enough, 
right? That when you walk in, you're like, man, if the Lord doesn't show up, there's not a lot else to be offered. That we would leave knowing that the king has spoken or he hasn't. That he's revealed himself or he hasn't. Because we believe that he's alive and able and willing. That's what we long for when we gather here. It's what we long for when we gather during the week in gospel communities and people's homes. That God would reveal himself and that we would wait and trust for him to do that how he sees fit. And not look to manipulate or force or fool or pretend or make you think you've experienced something that you haven't. Right? God doesn't need that. God is more than able. And he is more than worthy for us to trust him. Because God has revealed himself. Because he's alive this morning. Right? We sing and praise to him. Not for our sake, but because he hears it and receives it. So the band is going to come up in a moment. We're just going to return, like, just with our hearts and our, and our mouths and our minds in agreement, saying true things about a God who hears it and is living. And we have the Lord's Supper set up this morning for you to take. And, and this, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we did it corporately this morning. It will be individually or as a family for you to go back there and to remember that it was his blood that was spilt for you. It was his body that was broken for you, right? That means that you get to know God that, that he looks at you and calls you adopted son or adopted daughter, that he has brought you into the family was because of what Christ has done, not because of anything you brought to the table. And so at any point during the worship set, you are welcome to go back and to take the elements. This is for believers, those who trust Jesus alone. Um, would ask you to consider sin that maybe you are wrestling with now and and confess that even this morning prior to taking that because you're saying what makes me right with Jesus this morning is that I trust that his sacrifice is enough for me. So what the the band is going to do is uh, Sean's going to come up here in a moment and is just going to play acoustically for a few minutes like he did last week. A chance for you to just to let the spirit speak to you. To let the the message this morning minister to you um, to get up and take the, the elements if you would like. Um, and then in a, a couple minutes, the, the band will come up, and we will sing to our King, who is worthy. And so I'm going to pray for us. I mean, you enter, enter a time of, of prayer, of repentance, of reflection. Father, thank you for your absolute mercy to us. Lord, thank you this morning that we do not have to be whipped into a frenzy to get your attention. Thank you that we don't have to fake something for others to believe that maybe God is working or moving. Lord, that you're just good and you're consistent and you're faithful. So, Father, that you speak through your word and that you speak through one another and you speak through your spirit. And so, Father, now we just ask that you would speak. God, that if we have sinned to confess, that you would convict us of it. If we have areas where we are not trusting you, that you would reveal it. Father, would you speak? Your church is listening. In Jesus' name, amen.